Well, if you have your Bibles, it is Palm Sunday. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's read about Palm Sunday. I'm going to read about 11 verses from Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to have my Bible open just in case the screen goes kind of diagonal on me. And uh, my eyes are getting bad. This happens. It's called life. How, how many of you are getting older? Right? I mean, I saw Sharon the other day, and she had like seven bifocals hanging from all over her shirt. And, and she, had, she had two hanging. I'm like, Sharon, I, I don't understand the point of having two in the same spot. Right? They're supposed to be in a pocket or on your head. Because they, they, you can lose them both right here. Right? It's always got to be a backup. Um, but she did. She had, Madonna, just stop it. Um, but Matthew chapter 21. Let's uh, read about the triumphal entry. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and the Mount of Olives, when Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Now, I want to stop right there for a second. No other gospel mentions two donkeys. Only the gospel of Matthew. Mark, Luke, and John only reference a colt. Matthew references two. And he goes on to say, Jesus said to them, bring them to me. Bring them to me. Uh, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you. First of all, our our amazing youth group and our amazing children's church, Lord, for for coming into the sanctuary today and blessing us uh, through song and through through drama and through interpretation. Uh, Lord, thank you that that seeds have already been planted, uh, the hope that the gospel brings, the the powerful message that that Jesus brings hope to a lost and dying world has been evident and shown to us today. So, Lord, I pray right now that uh, as we focus on Easter, uh, not just today but this week, uh, may, may our hearts be sensitive May we be good ground, Uh, may our ears be attentive, and may our eyes see what your word is showing us and teaching us. So right now, bless this word, may it be used to your purpose and to build your kingdom in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Hope starts here. Hope starts here. It's the title of the sermon. Hope starts here, right here. This is where hope starts. Palm Sunday. Actually, it starts at Christmas, right? But Palm Sunday... It's where hope really started. That moment in time, hope started. Because in the next seven days, folks, there's a lot going on. We could preach for ten weeks just on the seven days that are just about to take place. From the triumphal entry to the empty tomb. There's a lot going on in the Gospels. A lot. It's it's the most powerful week in all of history. It's this week. This week. And, And... of course, if I had a subtitle to this message, it would be, From Inaccessible to Accessible. 
Hope starts here. From inaccessible to accessible. Y'all are looking on screen. You don't have it on your screen. Because <laughs> I'm not that gifted, right? I'm not that talented. Uh, I found this PowerPoint slide, and, and I'm like, I like that! And I kind of lived with that. If I boxed it out, it would look kind of cheesy. So I just left it. So the subtitle is, From Inaccessible to Accessible. Easter gives us access once again to God. It opens up a door that had been closed in our world. What was made inaccessible by the fall of man, Jesus now makes accessible. You know, I, I, in my day job, uh, I'm in the environmental field, and I, I, one of my responsibilities uh, for my employer is to understand rules and regulations, right? Um, 40 CFR, uh, subpart C, uh, I, I'm supposed to understand all those air program regulations. And it's my job to know them. Uh, people call me asking me questions. Hey, uh, I'm reading this. I don't make sense. Can you help me out here? And, and, and it, I'm not always good at it. I take a lot of notes and I know where to go. I, again, I've told you all a thousand times. And I'll tell you a thousand more times. My Boone County education didn't teach me everything, but it taught me I know go to find answers. Right? I know where to go find answers. Um, and I know when I, I've got an app on my phone, all the regulations are on my phone. And all I got to do is pull it up and I start reading and it comes to remembrance. And one of those rules that uses the word inaccessible. There are some things that are inaccessible. You can't get to them. They're obstructed. There's no access. So those type of things are exempt from the requirements of the rule because they're inaccessible. And I was thinking that word this week, and that's where the sermon was birthed. Man, God, we were inaccessible to you. We had no access. We had no access. There was no way for us to get to you until Jesus, until this week. Until hope started. There was no way. And Jesus took something that was inaccessible because of what Adam and Eve done. And he made it accessible to us. And it all started today. Amen. Hope starts today. It's Palm Sunday. The first day of the most amazing, important week in history. All the Gospels climax at this point. This point. Matthew has eight chapters on this week. One week. Eight chapters of the book of Matthew is on this week. That's powerful. Six chapters. Mark has six chapters. No, that's not many. Mark only has 16. Almost a half the gospel of Mark is spent on this week. It's amazing. This week. Luke has five and a half chapters. John has nine and a half chapters dedicated to this week. This week, this moment in time. 29 chapters in all in the four Gospels are dedicated to the final week of Jesus Christ. 29 chapters. Compare that with the four. There's only four on the first 30 years of his life. In all the Gospels, only four. Four chapters on the first 30 years. Damn, what's that tell me? This week matters! What happened this week has value. What happens this week has importance. We need to pay attention. Why? Because hope starts here. It starts today. This starts today. This is the first day in the grand drama of the final week of the life of Jesus on planet Earth. This is the first day. Palm Sunday represents that. The week that changed the world. The triumphal entry. You know, we head to the temple, and from, from the triumphal entry, we'll head to the temple, and then we'll head to the garden, then we'll head to the cross, and then we'll head to the empty tomb, all in seven days. There's a whole lot going on right here, folks. 
And the sad thing is it's just compacted. Into, we compact this into one week. Now, granted, we celebrate Easter every year, every Sunday here at Living Faith Church. It's been a good place to say amen. We sing songs about Jesus rising from the dead every week. We sing songs about an empty tomb. Amen. We preach the blood. It still happens here, folks. If you don't like it, don't come next week. It may get gory, right? We just, we're honest here. We don't sugarcoat it. It's the blood that purges and cleanses my life. Not a feel-good story. How many of you like giving blood? How many of you like giving blood? You get stabbed and jabbed and they can't tell you, you can't find your vein. You can't find your vein, Don. And then I turn about the shawler, collar of Roy's shirt. And the next thing I know, I'm passed out. <laughs> Happens, right? I'm not a blood guy, but you know, when we talk about the blood of Christ, guess what? It's life-giving. Yeah. It's life-altering. It's life-changing. And it all starts this week. Yeah. It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. I want you to paint a picture for you. Jerusalem at this point was packed. It's estimated 2.5 million people. We're in Jerusalem. They're there to celebrate the Passover. I was just reading about the Passover. I mean, the Passover began when it was the last plague uh, to, to release the nation of Israel from Egyptian slavery, right? And they had to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And, and God goes on to tell them, you will celebrate this for every generation. Every year, you will celebrate this moment. And ever since that, they've been celebrating the Passover. 2.5 million people. Imagine, for, for American eyes, imagine it's the 4th of July. Right? Everybody's celebrating our freedom, our independence. You're letting off fireworks at midnight. And some people get mad. <laughs> Kids are asleep. Beep. Kevin and I are really good amateur firemen or firework people. Except that one time one fell and shot somebody. It wasn't really good. <laughs> that one time I did it off my deck. Kelly said never again. Make it stop! Make it stop! It's a car bomb, Kelly. It's what it's called. The firework was called car bomb. You think I can make it stop once it's lit? <laughs> it, was, it was bouncing off everything. <laughs> said never again, Don, so we haven't got to do it again at my house, <laughs> to that level. But that's what was going on in Jerusalem. It was celebrating the Passover, the moment of their freedom. 2.5 million people show up. They crammed that place. They packed that place. And now Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem, and he sends two disciples and again, I, I, what really jumped out to me about Matthew's uh, documentation, I actually texted Ryan this week. I said, you know, there's two donkeys in Matthew's story? And Ryan's like, what? And we start talking and texting, interacting, and discussing it. What's that mean? You know, why is there two? And uh, cool, we'll talk a little about it in a second. Uh, some things we learned this week. But can you imagine being those two disciples? Jesus says, hey, Ryan and Ryan. That'd be cool if he had two disciples named Ryan and Ryan. He actually does have two disciples named Ryan and Ryan. There they are. There they are. Ryan and Ryan, I want you guys going down to Bob's house. Bob Peter's house. He's got a couple donkeys tied. Right? And you're just going to take them. You're just going to tie them and walk off. How many of you would feel comfortable doing that? Ryan would. You're from Boone County. Okay, you're from Racine. What if you're going to Ashford to take two, two donkeys? 
It's a whole different story. Um, but they go down to take these two donkeys. And Jesus says, if they say, what are you doing? Just say, the master has need of them. I love that. I love that. Of course, I'm, if I'm one of the two guys, I'm like, did, did, did we hear him correctly? Did he really say, just take it? And I'm thinking the whole time, I'm, I'd be arguing with my buddy. Hey, man, I'm just standing around. You, you be the guy. You're the entire. I'm just standing there with my hands in my pocket. This ain't on me. Right? And they're, and they're going back and forth, and they show up. And guess what? Just as Jesus said, there are these two animals. And now they're supposed to untie them and take them. I don't know if it was half a mile. I don't know if it was one mile. I don't know if it was 600 yards. I don't know how far it was. It doesn't sound like it was right down the street. I mean, they may have to go all the way to Canal City, for all I know, to get two donkeys and walk them back. Yet here they go, doing exactly what Jesus said. Sure enough, some guy, Bob, comes running out of the house. What are you doing? The master has needed them. What's that commercial? They just nod their head. All right, good. Where's that mountaineer? You seen that gif? Got that mountaineer, and he's just, just nods his head. That's what Bob does. All right, I'm good. And they take off with these two animals. Somebody says, man, I want to get to heaven, man. I want to find that guy. How did you know? Did an angel come to you? Did you have a dream? I mean, how did you just let two animals just walk off with two strangers? But the cool thing is, is that guy was part of prophecy. That guy was fulfilling prophecy. He was part of biblical prophecy by letting them use his animals. Amazing story. Amazing. And when they returned, the disciples placed their coats on the donkeys back. And as if, and it's what's so amazing about the colt, it's never been ridden on before. I, I used to have a horse when I was a kid. I don't remember much about it other than get kicked in the face once. Uh, I know, it's what happened. Uh, what I learned that day, what I learned, I don't, my, my dad just, never mind. He just show up with strange stuff. We'd, and we had a horse for a short period of time. And I remember petting it while I was eating behind it. Don't do it, guys. It's a terrible, it's a terrible moment in time. Um, but, but you just don't get on a horse. I mean, I can't, Griffin's got a horse, right? I, I don't have the comfort level right now. I just go jump on Griffin's horse, right? I'm sure it's tamed. They tell me, and I've watched documentaries, I've watched movies where someone tries to get on a, a, a horse for the very first time, it's never been ridden before. It doesn't like that. Yet here we find a colt that's never been ridden on before, and all of a sudden, it's just totally submissive to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They put, they put clothes on it, or around it, and over it, and Jesus sets on it and rides him into town. No bucking, no kicking. I find that amazing. I just find that so awesome. I find that so amazing. And the colt did it willingly. He carried Jesus down the road towards Jerusalem. And when Jesus emerged riding a donkey, heading towards the eastern gates of Jerusalem, the crowds camped out on both sides of the road, cheering, shouting, Hosanna, which means saves us, save us now. It don't just mean save us. It means save us now. Hosanna! Palm branches were being waved. They were, lay, they were taking off their coats and laying it in the road so Jesus could ride over them on his way to the eastern gate. It's an amazing story. Old Testament prophecy was, was being fulfilled. Zechariah 9.9 foretold that when God's promised Savior appeared, he would offer himself as Israel's king, not on a magnificent war horse or leading a glorious army. And that's where we all miss it. Oh, why didn't Jesus just come in and set up camp? Why didn't he come up to set up a flag and say, here I am? Because Zachariah said he wouldn't. He said, rather he would come in humility, riding on a young donkey. It was prophesied 
hundreds and hundreds of years before. They shouted Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us. Save us now. Wasn't, at times I wonder if it was more of a cry for help. That's why save us now. It's a cry for help. There is significance. I, I do want to point out there is significance with the palm branches. Uh, King Solomon uh, actually had, in First Kings we read, that he had in his walls and the doors, he had palm branches engraved uh, into the, to, to the, the boundaries of his palace, uh, signifying uh, kingship and signifying royalty. Uh, in the book of Revelation, it's really powerful. book of Revelation, we see that once again, we will honor Christ. We will all, uh, who go to heaven, will have the chance to wave our palm branches. Here's what it says in Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. And from every nation, from every tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches to their, in their hands, waving palm branches. That's what happened. We're going to do it again. We weren't, I wasn't there at the triumphal entry, but when I get in front of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Bible tells me I'm going to have a palm branch and I'm going to get to honor him. Hosanna! We're going to get to honor him. Amazing story. And Matthew, let's go back real quick. Matthew is the only gospel that mentions two. Two um, records it this way. Understand, this, these gospels are written hundreds of years. 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 years uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection. So it wasn't like they wrote it next day. Um, they, they, they wrote this over a period of time. This was years later. This wasn't that, they didn't write it that week. This was years later in recollection. And he talks about these two donkeys. And Jesus said, bring them to me. Bring them to me. And it really jumped out to me. I've been reading in the book of Matthew. And this really just jumped out in the page. I, I mean, how many of you read your Bible sometimes? And you think, I, I've never seen that before. That happened to me. <laughs> I mean, I remember texting around. I said, hey, man, it's two donkey things got me messed up. You know, I don't know what to think. And we, we, again, we started conversing about and talking about. Started reading and started researching. And I found some really powerful uh, thoughts on that. I don't have no personal biblical revelation, but I've read other people's. And I love the one where the, the, the person was saying that the, old, the, the, the older donkey represented the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And the new donkey, the cult represented the New Testament or the New Covenant. So Jesus was actually going in with the old and the new. And it was to the Jew was what the older donkey represented. And we're the embroidered cult. We're the ones that never had access before. And I thought that was really amazing uh, how Matthew pointed that out. It was separating what was old because the new has come. But that was really powerful. It really hit me this week. And I thought, man, there was, there was some prophetic stuff going on just as he was entering in. What he was riding on. It wasn't just because Zechariah said it, but both of those donkeys represented the old and the new covenant. And it kind of resonated with me this week. That's kind of what I landed on for myself. That's the old and that's the new. And guess what? Jesus was riding the new. Think about that. He was riding the new covenant. He come to fulfill the law. Because up at that point, folks, it was just a Jewish thing only. The Gentiles had no access. And at that moment, we got our access. What was once inaccessible has now been made accessible to you and I. Has now been made accessible to you and I. So two points, two things that remind me every Easter I think about. And I want to share them to you real quickly. Just two. Not three. Not five. Not seventeen. Two. Uh, Number one, you can't redeem yourself. You can't redeem yourself. You can't. Um, y'all know where I'm going. Love that scene in that movie. Dumb and Dumber. 
Y'all thought I was referencing Passion of the Christ, but I'm not. Harry and Lloyd, and they're... <laughs> Harry, Harry looks at him and says, Just when I thought you couldn't get any dumber, you go and do something like this. So he took that van and he traded it for a mini bike. Have you ever seen that movie Dumb and Dumber? Right? He took that van and he traded it for a little Honda 50cc mini bike. I used to have one of those, the big fat tires. Uh, those are awesome. That was after I got kicked in the face with a horse. Dad probably gave up the horse and gave me a, a mini bike. Um, just when I thought you could be any dumber, you go and do something like this and totally redeem yourself, right? And they were happy. He was ecstatic. You know what? And maybe that, that movie's funny because you know what? But the sad part is we can't redeem ourselves. We can't. In the natural, we cannot redeem us. There's not enough good deeds. You can't do it. say enough nice things. You can't have enough education. There's not enough money. You can't open enough doors. You can't help enough old ladies across the street. You cannot redeem you. Can't. Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. They, they bit of something. They forsook of something. I, I share this all the time. It just amazes me. I think about it. We think the Garden of Eden, we think there was two trees. Tree one, tree two. No. The whole garden. There was only one tree. For all I know, there were thousands of trees they could have ate off of. There was only one they weren't allowed to touch. We'd have been that guy. You can't touch that one. Well, that's the one I want to touch now. Right? Isn't that human nature? You can touch them all but that one. You got one million trees to choose from, but you can't have that one. I want that one. And it's just us. That's human nature. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. At that moment, we were totally separated from God. We were inaccessible to get to heaven. We, were, we had no access at that moment. Separated. Separated from God. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. We're separated. And the sad reality is we're born that way. No, not a person in this room had a choice in the matter. Did you know that? I didn't have a choice. I didn't get, I didn't get a, a, a multiple choice question in the womb. Do you want to be born in sin? Yes or no? I didn't get that choice. Every human being born after that fall was born into sin. Separated from God. So, so don't act like you've made so many mistakes is why you're it's bad. No, man. We were all born into sin. It wasn't because you did something bad. It wasn't because you cursed at a certain age. It wasn't because you looked at something you shouldn't have looked at. You were born that way. And the only cure is Jesus Christ. He's the only cure. Hope begins here. The word separate here means we have been disconnected. We're set apart from God's presence. It's inaccessible to us. We cannot enjoy His fellowship. And no amount of good works from our part can bridge or gap that connection. That's separation. The Bible says, though, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God, that's Frank preached a few but God messages. Billy Goat Religion is what he called it. It was a Sunday night. It was a Sunday night service. I don't remember the day, but I knew it was a Sunday night service. You preached a but God message. And you called it Billy Goat Religion in the world. Everybody puts a but on everything. But he pointed out to us here in Romans, but God, we talk about everybody else's buts. No, don't go there. But God, but God, God, listen, but God, 
demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. While we were sinners, the sacrifice came. God has provided a way for us, but it's up to us to respond. I want to look at a few people in the Bible real quick. Um, a couple of my favorite stories when I see the power, uh, and I think it's relevant to us in our, today's world. When I, when I read these stories, they, they, they seem so relevant to today. Um, the first one is, is found in Luke. I'm not going to read it, but Luke chapter, uh, or John chapter 5, uh, the pool of Bethesda. This man had been laying there for 38 years. 38 years. He's waiting for the waters to stir. He's on his mat. He's there every day. He's not moving. He's always looking for somebody to move him somewhere else. He's always looking for a handout. He's always looking for somebody. And all he has is a bunch of excuses. Right? That's all he has. And and the Bible says Jesus shows up. And Jesus immediately walks up to him and says, do you want to be healed? He asks him a question. And the man immediately starts spitting out excuses. I've got nobody getting me in the water. I got nobody to get me there. I got nobody to get me there. Jesus didn't ask you for an excuse. He asked you if you want to be healed. And that's this world today. You want to be set free? I got nobody to get me in the water. I was raised on the wrong side of the tracks. You don't know my upbringing. You don't know why. You don't know how I was raised as a kid. You don't know. Why. I didn't ask about all that. I asked you a question. Do you want to be set free? And everybody wants to make excuses. And this man, he didn't want to answer the question. He just wanted to give a bunch of excuses to why he didn't want to answer the question. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Do you want to be set free? Well, I don't know, man. You don't know where I'm from. I didn't ask where you're from. Do you want to be set free? Isn't that our world around us? Since they can't redeem themselves, they're just trying to find reasons. They're just making excuses. When Jesus asks him a question, he doesn't answer the question, but instead he starts complaining. Complaining of why? And that is so many of us right now. We complain too much, we judge too much, we criticize too much when we should just answer the question. Right? He asked you a question. What time is it? Well, you have no idea what I've been through today. Dude, I just wonder what time it is, man. Easy. Right? But see how triggered we are? See how triggered our planet is? We live on a trigger planet. They're trigger. And what I find amazing about the story is we all have a pull like this man had. We're all fixated on something. I don't know what your pull is, but something has your attention. You're focused on something. You got Jesus standing right there, man. I'm here to help. I'm here. And all you see is the pool. I mean, for all I know, Jesus was standing between him and the water. And he's probably doing this. He's trying to see the water. His focus was on the pool. His excuses. His complaints. His reasons why he can't. Rather than asking reasons why I can. And this was a place where he was stuck. He was stuck looking at the water. Don't seem like a bad thing. I mean, I wouldn't mind being in Destin, Florida right now looking at the water. Amen. Pretty crystal clear, right? Right? I bet you this water wasn't crystal clear. <laughs> Probably like the big coal. Or the little coal. Muddy and dirty. 
that his focus was on the water. He thought the water was going to solve his problems when standing before him was the bread of life. The king of kings was asking him a question. And all he wanted to do was look at the water and tell him why. Tell him his life story, his sob story. I'm not saying your story isn't real. I'm not saying your pain isn't real. I'm not saying your frustrations aren't real. But quit looking at the pool and look at the master. Look at the one that can solve them. Look at the one that can go with you through them. That's what our focus should be on. When Jesus asked him, verse 6, do you want to be healed? And his answer was mistaken to be that of someone willing to get him to the pool. Do you want to be healed, man? Can you get me? I need somebody to get me in the water. No, man, I'm not talking about the water. I'm talking about do you want to be healed? Of course, the legend was an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the water, and the first one in would be healed. Right? And this guy spent 38 years. How many of you are younger than 38? Don't raise your hand, Bo. Raise your hand. I'm not. So raise your hand if you're younger than 38 years old. Raise them up. Come on. This isn't a, this isn't, are you a bad person question. All right. How many of you are older than 38 years old? Right? We're about, it's about 50-50 for the record, folks. Tom, you just turned 80. Happy birthday this week. 80 years old. 80 never looked so good, unless it was Bob Peters. Uh, 38. Can you imagine, though? How many of you are actually 38? You're 38 years old right now. Amy's 38. Can you imagine your whole life sitting on a mat, looking at water for 38 years, waiting for someone, waiting for someone to rescue you, waiting for someone to come and move you, waiting for someone to... Oh, you're not 30. I'm sorry. Uh, waiting for... <laughs> you will be one day. Uh, waiting for someone to move you to... Can you imagine your whole life sitting on a mat, waiting for someone to help you? Can you imagine that? And now you get somebody that does show up, and all you want to do is complain? That's where this guy was. He was stuck. He was stuck. The cool thing is that Jesus meets us where we're stuck. He meets us where we're stuck. Think about that. He said, I'll come to you. He came to the pool. I'll come to you. I'll come to where you're stuck. But we must first get our eyes on him and not what we're stuck in. Jesus changed this man's life. When Jesus showed up at Bethesda, he saw this man with with his back on a bed. When he left, his man had a bed on his back. (laughs) Think about that. When he showed up, he was lying on it. When he walked away, he was carrying it out there. Couldn't redeem himself. But Jesus could. Jesus could. Another story, I love, I love the story of Zacchaeus. I love the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Um, maybe it's because I sang it. Mahone Chapel, you know, I met this church where I was raised. Um, every Sunday, I thought it was cool, man. I look back at that, and man, it was really, really cool what we did. Every Sunday, in between the offering and the preaching, they allowed all the kids. Yeah, we didn't have children's church. We sat and listened to somebody. And that was our moment to shine. We would get up, and there'd be 30 of us lined up across, and we'd get to sing songs. And you'd sing special. If you want special, you got to come up on behind the altar, and you were the only one who got to sing. And I sang this song all the time. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. That was my go-to, you know what I'm saying? That was my go-to song. When it was time for Don to sing a solo, that was my go-to. So I love the story of Zacchaeus. One of my favorite, Carrie Brown, one of her favorite messages that I ever preached was called, Make haste, Donald Ray! 
right? It was about the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, take out, of course, I used the reference. My mom would yell my name when it was time to take out the trash. And the first couple, you ever notice that? First couple of times, hey, we take out the trash. And the fifth and sixth, seventh, the tenth time, it's all right! Make haste! You know, that's why Carrie loves that sermon. She probably remembers me talking about my mom jumping on me for not taking out the trash. But I love that story of Zacchaeus. And, and you know, we, we know the story. The Bible says he's short stature and uh, he was a publican. He was a tax collector. I mean, he, he wasn't well liked. And the Bible says that he heard that Jesus was coming that way. So he went on before to get in front of the crowd, to get past the crowd. And, and the Bible says he climbed up a sycamore tree. Right? So he could be elevated, so he could see. Now, my problem with that whole story is, hey, man, if you get there early enough, you can get a curbside seat. Right? You can get a curbside seat if you get there early enough. He just didn't want to be seen, did he? He didn't want to be noticed. So he climbs this tree. So he's out of harm's way. Right? He probably got there early, so he climbed that tree. So I, what I love about the story, though, is, is, is Zacchaeus is up in the tree. He's on Facebook. He's putting everybody. He's sharing his location. Hey, I'm in the tree, hanging out, waiting to see Jesus, right? He's all, it's all about the notoriety. How many likes am I going to get? Because I'm going to see Jesus. You know, he misspelled Jesus the first time, so he had to go back and edit it. Um, you ever do that? I'm a guy, so I edit my posts. So I misspell something, I have to go back and edit it. Um, so, so he's editing his posts, and all of a sudden, man, here comes Jesus. The crowd showed up, and here comes Jesus walking, and he's just like, man, he's got his phone out. He's, got, he's taking selfies, man. He's, he's got the angle. He's got everything he needs to get that angle, because all he wants to do is see him. He don't want to interact with him. He don't want to experience him. He don't want to touch him. He just went, I saw Jesus. And what I like about the story is the Bible says Jesus is walking. He stops, stops at that tree. Says Zacchaeus, make haste. Salvation has come to your house today. Today. It's coming today. Right? It's coming today. That's what it says. Salvation is coming to your house. And later they went to his house. They came out of the tree and they go to his house. Right? But what I find so amazing about that is it's just like the pool of Bethesda. Zacchaeus was stuck in a tree. Right? He was stuck. And all his focus was on being elevated. All his focus was on was not being seen. And Jesus finds him right where he's stuck. Can't get out of that tree, right? Now he's, you're there. You can't get out of it. So today's your day. Today's your day. Today is your day. He hears his name. Man, that's something bad that. When someone says your name, it brings value. He heard his name. He probably tried to continue with the selfie. Then he hears Zacchaeus. Make haste. Come down, for today I must abide in thy house. All of a sudden, the selfie didn't matter. Selfie didn't matter anymore. Didn't matter. The tree didn't matter anymore. The crowd. Think about that. The very reason he climbed the tree was to get away from everybody. And when Jesus stopped and found him where he was, the crowd didn't matter anymore. The tree didn't matter anymore. Why? Because the one that came to save him, the one that could redeem him, is all that mattered. His focus was no longer on the tree. It was no longer on the crowd. It was now on Jesus. And it made a difference. His life was redeemed. Point number two is God never gives up. God never gives up. I give up. How many of you give up? I've gave up this week. I want to check out on work on Wednesday. It was a rough week. I was like, I'm out. Couldn't. I didn't. But I wanted to. God never gives up. That's what Easter shows me. That's what Easter teaches me. Is that God never gives 
up. He don't give up on me. He don't give up on you. He don't give up on this planet. Don't give up. God doesn't give up. I see this in the Passion Week. That went from Sunday praise to the shouts of crucified just a few short days later. Think about that. They were shouting Hosanna, celebrating his entrance. And just a few days later, they're saying, kill him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. A really small window of time. It went from an amazing celebration on Sunday to total forgetfulness on, by Friday. Dramatic. But God doesn't give up. Well, there are many. Why, so some people say, why how do they change so quick? How do you go from shouting Hosanna on Sunday to a few days later saying, crucify, give us Barabbas, give us the criminal, crucify him. How does that even happen? He, how do we even get that far? I thought about that this week. One simple reason is their words didn't match their heart. Hosanna wasn't in their heart. It was just a trendy thing to do. Not for all of them. You get a, a group of people and you're caught up in the moment, right? And everybody starts singing Hosanna and shouting Hosanna. You're next thing you know, you're going, yeah, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. You just, you just follow suit. And the very thing saying could have happened Friday. You're in this mob, the same mob. I mean, it's the same group of people. And what went from Hosanna to crucify? All it takes is one voice in the back. Crucify. Crucify. Then another voice. Then another voice. Then another voice. And there you are standing. Crucify. Their words don't match their heart. It's probably the greatest thing that God revealed to me this week. Is how someone could transition from Hosanna on Sunday to crucify by Friday. Because it wasn't in their heart. The words didn't match who they were. Many of those who gathered to throw their coats and palm branches onto the street, who shouted praises, did so because it was popular at the time. And we get caught up in the trends a lot, don't we? We get caught up sometimes in trends. Let me tell you, Jesus is not trending. It's not, he's not always trending to the world, but I promise you, he's always trending to the church. He's always trending to us. And he doesn't give up. Man, I've failed so many times. You know what? He doesn't give up on me. My mistakes, my shortcomings. He still pursues me. He comes after me. Why? Because he goes where I'm stuck. He comes to me. He comes to rescue me. And you know what? Maybe you feel stuck in this world you're living in. I'm here to tell you, he's coming to you. He'll come to where you are. Because that's what he does. And that's what Easter tells us. God never gives up. Throughout all the course of history, throughout all the Bible, he never gave up. When Adam and Eve ate what they were told not to, God did not give up. When Joseph dropped, was dropped into a pit by his own brothers, God did not give up. When Moses said, here I am, send Aaron, God didn't give up. When the nation of Israel wanted to go back into slavery, I was reading that, I was reading in the book of Exodus. Three days, folks. Three days after the Red Sea. Now, how many of you would agree with me? If you were in a nation of Israel and the east wind blew in and blew the water out and you could walk across on dry, ant, dry, dry ground, two million people, walk across on dry ground, right? And then you saw the nation of Egypt's army come in after you and the water fell back down and drowned them all. How many of you think that's a pretty miraculous moment? They forgot about it in three days. The Bible says three days later they wanted to go back to slavery. 
three days. Because it was hard. It was hard. Manna. Quail. It's hard. It's a hard life. What the Bible tells us? They had a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night leading them. Three days! I'm going to go back. All right? We're soft. We're soft. They were soft. We're soft. Let's be honest. But you know what? God still didn't give up. When only two spies believed, God didn't give up. When his own hometown, talking about Jesus, tried to throw him over a cliff. True story. It really happened. Well, I love Pastor Frank's rendition. I love Pastor Frank. First of all, Pastor Frank's awesome. Give it up, Pastor Frank. But when he, when he would preach on this story, he would just say, Jesus would just slip through the crowd. He'd just kind of tuck his shoulders in. And just, Jesus, he said, Jesus would just slither off. He'd just walk right through the crowd and nobody knew who he was going. But when they were trying to throw him off a cliff, God did not give up. When Peter worshipped and cursed at the fire, God did not give up. When people shouted crucify, God did not give up. When they spat on him and beat him and whipped him, when human hands nailed the creator to the cross, God did not give up. When he cried, Father, why have you forsaken me? God did not give up. And when Jesus said it is finished, God did not give up. We're just getting started. We were just getting started. When his lifeless body was placed into a tomb, God did not give up. And I want to tell you today, in a world that is growing worse by the minute, God does not give up. He's not giving up on you. He still believes in you. He still desires to have a relationship with you. He's not giving up on you. Many people through the gospel, I love, as Pastor Mark said, I love, first of all, they did an amazing job setting up the scene, right? The scene. Um, it was real easy. I came in, I knew the well was there. I knew what was there. Uh, I saw the tomb. I thought Don Cosman was going to come out of it two days early. Um, <laughs> so several years ago, we had an Easter Sunday, a little drama, and Don was Jesus. And Don came out on Saturday or something, Friday night. <laughs> Coming out, da, da, da. <laughs> Just a tad early. We understand what was going on, right? <laughs> we, we understood what was going on. Um, but many people were impacted by this. Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, lepers, blind men, sick and hurting. Even today, people are still coming to this risen king. Broken lives, alcoholics, drug addicts, professionals, businessmen, women, teenagers, middle-agers, senior citizens are still coming to this risen king. They're still coming to the one that can redeem them. They're still coming to the one that does not give up on them. Still today. And we all have one thing in common. We all come before him with the empty hope chest. I don't have anything to offer. There's nothing special about me. But you know what? He says, I love you anyway. I love Pastor Mark. He says it, we say it all the time. He loves me because I exist. We love people because they exist. Because they exist. My empty hope chest is full of letdowns, 
A lot of surprises along the way that I wasn't expecting. Disappointments, failures, mistakes. Yet there he is with open arms. He said, Don, I don't give up on you. I can redeem you. I don't give up on you. Though we have nothing to offer, we ask for everything in return, don't we? A new birth, a second chance, a fresh start, a clean conscience. Let me tell you today, just as he will honor your request, he will give you a clean start. A second, a third, or 50th chance. That's who he is. Will you leave what you're holding on to? The very thing that is holding you back. That tree. That pool. The woman at the well is the bucket, right? That when you read that story and you study that story, the whole time she's interacting with Jesus, she was holding the bucket. The bucket was her security. This is what she was hiding behind. You know what? She gave it up. She put it down. She put the bucket down and said, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. So today I ask you, what will you do with Jesus? We are guilty. He is innocent. We are filthy. He is pure. We are wrong. He is right. He is not on the cross for his sins. He's there for ours. Max Ocato said that in six hours one Friday. History has done everything to Jesus and has done everything to the cross except one thing. And that's forget it. They've tried to ignore it. They've tried to block it out. But they can't. They can't forget it. They argue it. They debate it. It attracts all critics. It lures all who are searching. History has idolized it and despised it. Gold-plated it and burned it. Worn it and trashed it. History has done everything but forget it. And this week, hope starts here. Hope starts here. I want to close. George Wilson, in 1833, had murdered a guard while robbing a federal payroll from a train. Public sentiment called for capital punishment and led to an eventual pardon by Andrew Jackson, the President of the United States at the time. He was pardoned. He was forgiven. George Wilson has done something that had not been done before or since. He rejected the pardon. He said, no, thank you. Wilson refused to accept it. The courts had never experienced this before or since. They were confused on what should happen next. The president had pardoned him, but the criminal refused to accept the pardon. The Supreme Court was eventually called in. Chief Justice John Marshall delivered the following verdict. A pardon is a parchment whose only value must be determined by the receiver of the pardon. It has no value apart from that which the receiver gives it. George Wilson has refused to accept the pardon. 
We cannot conceive why he would do that. But he has. Therefore, George Wilson must die. Consequently, Wilson was later hung. The truth is, we stand in a similar position before God. He's given us a pardon through his son, Jesus Christ. What was inaccessible has now been made accessible. When I read that George Wilson story, I think, that's crazy. Why would he do that? But when I look at it through a spiritual lens, the world is doing it all the time. Jesus has offered hope. He has offered opportunity. He has offered freedom. Yet we choose not to accept the pardon. And then, unfortunately, the choice is ours. He came to redeem us. And he never gives up on us. But ultimately, the choice comes back to you and me making a decision. And now the choice is up to you. He offers us forgiveness, pardon for our sin. But it's only effective if we accept it and claim it as our own. Let us pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for Palm Sunday. We thank you for this week, which is the greatest week in all of history. What was once inaccessible has now been made accessible to us because of this week. Because of the ultimate sacrifice. Because of the cross. Because of the empty tomb. We now have hope. 